This is the Commission Church Online. Welcome to our podcast. We want to be a church who brings heaven on earth through the word of God and the love of Christ. I pray this week's message blesses you. Here's a heads up today. Um, Like we usually do, uh, we're not going to have a majority of the verses on screen today because we are probably going to read around three chapters of the Bible during service, okay? I know this is probably not something that we're used to, or it's not something that, you know, we're, uh, it is usually a flow of service, so to speak. But the sermon series that I'm starting today, uh, it, it requires us to have a good backdrop of a context of what we're actually learning. And I want to title my sermon series, Rated R, Rated R. And in part one, I want to talk about this man called Samson. Now, the reason why I have called it Rated R is because we, we probably, probably every single person sitting here knows that Rated R primarily refers to movies that have been, or certain TV shows or video games that have been given a restricted rating by the Motion Picture Association of America, their film rating. And they're rated for various reasons. Uh, And three of those main reasons are violence, nudity, and language. And the amazing thing is the Bible is also filled with many stories like this. They are the PG version that we learn when we are growing up in Sunday school or kids' church. If you've ever grown up in church, you probably learned PG versions of many of the stories. And if you ask kids about many stories that they learned, they won't give you the entire image that the, that the Bible actually talks about. Uh, and, and the reason the Bible is filled, filled with stories that are gory and stories that are graphic in nature and rated R in nature is because the people in the Bible were not perfect. Uh, the Word of God is perfect. God is perfect. But the Word of God is filled with people that were far from perfect. And that's what makes this Bible or this Word, this book, so much relatable to you and to me. And there, there's these stories that are filled with, you know, all these elements of violence and nudity and language and, and, and all of this stuff. And a lot of people just skip by it. We don't talk about it in church. There are not a lot of sermons that we actually hear about many of these topics. And today I want to I start this series to talk about some of these stories that the Bible t- teaches us about. And this might take around two sermons, so if I don't finish today, I'll complete next week, so come back next week if you want to catch the tail end of this message. I hope I finish, but we'll see as we go, because this is going to be a good amount of content that we're going to cover today. Some stories are too good to be true. Haven't you come across those stories in the Bible? You're like, man, the Bible says that? Like, that's crazy. Like, I I have no idea that this could be true. Like, some of these stats and some of these details in these stories are so vivid to where you look at it and you're like, man, is this really true? Like, can can this, this is too good to be true. I, I know it's true, right? But is it really, you know, this gory? Is this really this detailed? There's so many questions that we actually have right? Uh, We've heard that phrase, too good to be true, many times. For example, right, uh, or the the term or the phrase, too good to be true, is literally, it's so excellent that it defies all belief. An example of that would be a sentence like, she loves all her in-laws unconditionally. 
I hope you got that. That's, it's, it's too good to be true. And if, if you are somebody that loves your in-laws unconditionally, uh, thank you for being the hands and feet of Jesus. You are amazing. You are good. But it's too good to be true. Because this term expresses a skeptical view that something so seemingly fine must have something wrong with it. And the story that we're about to explore and talk about from the Bible is a, is a story very similar to that. A story that is filled with so much detail, and as we go through it, you're like, you're, you're probably going to wonder, man, I, I didn't learn about that in Sunday school. I didn't learn about that growing up. And it's amazing because the more and more we get into it, the more and more we realize that we are exactly like this character in the Bible. You know, uh, in, in 2011, I bought some Reebok shoes. Uh, it was in the same year, and I didn't buy it because it was advertised in this way, but in the year 2011, in September 2011, Reebok was actually ordered to refund $25 million to customers because its advertising promised, uh, and like many other advertisements, without adequate evidence, that the company's easy-tone shoes right, would, would, would firm the user's, pardon my language, butts, and, uh, and their legs, all right, with every step that they took. Now, again, I did not buy the shoe because of what it claimed, all right? I didn't need help in those areas. Now, I just want to be clear. All right, but but I was I was I was outside running with a friend, and he was like, "Hey, man, those are those are nice Reebok shoes." I was like, "Thank you, man. It's pretty nice, pretty comfortable." And he said, "Man, did you read about those shoes? This is a big lawsuit, and you can get money for it." And guess what? I got money back. I got like fifty bucks, right? Off that set. Whew, yeah, whatever. But but it was great, right? But here's the thing. Of course, like that's the only latest multi-million dollar settlement in a long line of misleading or unfounded marketing claims. Right? Over the past century, right, Americans have been sold countless too good to be true products, right, including cancer fighting, you know, electronic zappers or sugar that's not sugar and purifiers that add chemicals to water, right? We, we, we are so gullible when it comes to that. Right? How many of y'all have got emails uh, from some Nigerian prince saying that you have been handpicked by the royal family to receive a royal bounty? Come on, some, no, nobody here? And the amazing thing is even till this day, around $700,000 is lost in the U.S. economy to people that are gullible to email scams like this. You know, unpacking Bible narratives that doesn't make sense on first read is important for you and for me as Christians, for us to delve right in and say, you know what, let me see what God is trying to teach me through this passage. The story of Samson is one of those, one of those stories. It's a true story, but man, what a story. By the end of this service, or if we finish this, this whole thing, we're going to read the passage for sure. A lot of y'all are going to be like, man, what, what just happened? Like, why did I need to know all these things that were just listed in this narrative? In this story, let me just unpack this a little bit before we get into the, the scripture reading. There was this strong, no, here's a PG version. Are y'all ready for the PG version? All right, the Sunday school version is this. The Sunday school version is that there was this strong man with long hair called Samson in the Bible. He was very strong because of his long hair. Right? He killed a lion and shook a building and it fell down. Wow, Samson was a strong man. How many of you remember that story? Three of y'all. Few of y'all know more of it. But let me unravel this morning an R-rated version of this story that has a lot to teach us as Christian adults. 
All right. So here's a man who many of, like many of us, right, is, is, is about to overcome these, these passionate feelings that he has, but it's his passions and his sins that, 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 that God uses to teach him some valuable lessons. But in all of that, he self-sabotages sabotages himself because of his inability to tame his own passions. Right, uh, I still remember back in back in the day when I was in high school. I was doing an assignment on my then computer, which used floppy drives. How many of you all remember those days? Some of us, some of the young people, don't understand what that is. But I, I still remember uh, I was trying to save my assignment on a floppy disk. But as I was about to finish my my assignment and save it on the floppy disk to go get it printed in the library, I saw my entire document just going back backspace back. back it was just being deleted right, right in front of my eyes. And I was like, what is going on? I'm not even back. And it was back in the day, and the, and the computer crashed, word crashed. It didn't allow me to, to actually recover the file. I did not have time to write an, a new assignment, and I failed, failed the class. Now, little did I know that the day before, a friend had given me another floppy disk that had a game called Prince of Persia that I installed on my computer, but it was a bootleg version that came with a virus that completely sabotaged my computer. But it was an act of self-sabotage that actually killed my ability to be able to use my computer after that. Just like that, here's a man that we're gonna read in the Bible who's, who God gave extreme power a regular man that God made extremely strong, but there's this self-sabotaging virus that he had inside of him that he could not contain and control. You know, see, Samson was given a law, a code of law by God. And I'm giving you this introduction. This, his code was a Nazarite code. What did that mean? A man from Nazareth or the, a Nazarite man couldn't cut his hair. There were three things that God told him not to do. Don't cut your hair, don't touch a dead body, and don't drink alcohol. Literally the words was anything from a vine. So he could not even drink unfermented grape juice, he could not touch. That's how detailed God was in his instruction. This is where we pick up in Judges chapter number 14. So here's what I want you to do. Like I said earlier, I want you to open up your Bibles. All right, for all of y'all that don't have Bibles, right, like me, that have a device, open up your devices, your Bible apps, your safari, to Judges chapter number 14. Because of the enormity of the passage, I told the, the media team, hey, let's not pu put it up on the screen because we want people to read along, all right? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to go to Judges, all right? It's in the Old Testament. It's not too far along. You go through the first few books of the Bible, and you're going to get to Judges. And Judges chapter number 14 is where we begin our study. In the first two verses, this man called Samson, who is a strong, mighty man, looks at his parents and he says he wants to marry this hot Philistine girl. He says, man, that's the girl that I want, you, I want to marry. Go get that girl for me. Verse number three, this is where we pick up. This is what the Bible says. But his father and mother said to him, is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go and take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. Now, I want to pause there real quick. We're going to read a lot of verses and then I'm going to come at the end and I'm going to conclude my message. But I want to pause here for a second. This verse single-handedly would describe the biggest thing that went wrong with Samson. 
The biggest reason for Samson's downfall was that he did whatever pleased him. Okay, and I'm speaking to a church today. Now, now here's what I want to warn you. I'm not going to hold back this morning. I'm going to give you what God put on my heart and taught me about myself. Can we, can we be okay with that? Everyone okay with that? All right. Now, this is single-handedly the biggest downfall, all right? His ability or his inability to be influenced by God. He wanted to do whatever pleased him. He's not going to let anybody get in the way of what he wants. Not his parents, not God, not spiritual advisors, not prop, nobody. All right? So what happens? He throws this big party, right? He wants to marry this girl. He says, go get it for me. He throws a big bachelor party, right? This, or in today's terms, it could be called like a beer keg party, right? And, and this, of course, is a problem because Samson is not allowed to drink alcohol. Remember this. He's not supposed to touch alcohol. And, and there's this big party and he's traveling to this party. And while on his way, verse number five, and behold, a young lion came towards him roaring. Now, lion just pops out of nowhere, okay? And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and although he had nothing in his hand he tore the lion in pieces and as one tears a young goat now that's funny to me I'm, I'm gonna pause there again it's funny to me because I don't know if that's what they did for recreation back in the day like we play basketball like if somebody said hey Samson what, were you, what are you up to we're like what are you gonna be doing today oh you know uh, just you know, went to work grabbed some dinner and tore a goat on the way back home right I mean that's that's the kind of like casual like line that's just put in there. He was like, he just tore, like, like tore the lion up like he tore a goat up. Like, do people just tear goats up? I, I don't know. I, it just confuses me. But on his way back, right, he goes to this, goes, looks, sees his bride, comes back, and on his way back, he sees the same carcass of this lion lying over there. All right? And all this stuff that we're going to read is unraveling over a few days. All right? Think about what an exciting he, he life he had before these few days. All right? He comes back, he sees the, the carcass of the lion lying over there, but that's not it. He sees a beehive inside of the carcass of this lion. I have a million questions all right, about this, but we're not going to get into that. All right? So he scoops up some honey and he eats it, gives some to his parents and says, eat it, but he doesn't tell them where he gets it from. Again, lies to his parents or doesn't keep the truth away from his parents. Why? Because the Nazarene cord, code told him that he cannot touch a dead animal. But here he is touching a dead body. Here, in this case, an animal. He gets to the party, gives them a riddle. All right, this is where things get interesting. There's a riddle that comes out of nowhere. In verse number seven, right, uh, or verse number 14, we see this. So this, he, he basically says, man, if you guess this riddle that I'm about to ask you, I'll give you, uh, in, 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 within seven days, you need to guess this riddle. And if you do guess the riddle, I'll give you all clothes. There are 30 of these guys in his bachelor party. And he says, hey, I'm going to give you all clothes to wear. Okay. Now, if you don't guess the riddle, each one of you would have to buy me clothes for my wedding. No problem. Everybody agreed to it. Verse number 14, he reveals this riddle and he says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. All right, three days later, these guys couldn't figure out this riddle. It was just blowing their minds out. So he, they turn to his wife and they say, you know, they threaten her and say, hey, you need to go and talk to your husband. Go talk to your boo and go tell him that we need to know the answer. Go get the answer out of him. So verse number 17, she wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted. And on the seventh day, he told her because she pressed him hard, that then she told the riddle to her people. Now she, she pressed him. She said, hey, I need to know the riddle. Nah. Talk about seven days of marriage and party being, being a big party pooper. 
crying every day, asking him for the answer, gives her the answer, takes the answer, gives it to the people. And the men of the city, verse 18, said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? Gives him the answer. And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found my riddle. Now, I don't know if that's a normal thing to say about your wife. Come on, somebody. Husbands, if there's one thing you can take from this verse, do not call your wife a... (laughs) And the other lesson is don't allow your wife to be, you know, don't allow other men to mess with your wife, essentially. Verse number 19, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and he went to Ashkelon and and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Now, here's a man that's on the loose. Like, Like, talk about a man that is so reckless. Okay? I'm just going over this passage and I want you to just track with me, okay? Like, why? My, here's my question, all right? I, I sat down and as I was studying this passage, I was like, God, why? Like, why would you fill Samson with your spirit to do something so petty and so vindictive? I mean, don't you have that question? Like, why? The Bible says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. And this dude went upon and said, I'm going to kill 30 people. I'm going to take their clothes and I'm going to give it to these 30 people. Why? Because I, we, we kind of had an agreement. But here's the thing. If you actually break this down, God had this bigger pursuit in his mind. See, Israel had grown com- complacent. They'd grown comfortable in their captivity under the Philistines. And he uses Samson, even though his heart isn't right with God, he uses this man for his purposes and his goals. Now, I want to make a statement, and I want you all to listen very carefully. Never assume that because God is using you powerfully or blessing you mightily, it means that you are right with him personally. There are so many Christians that buy into the idea that if they are blessed, if they are prosperous, they have food on their tables, they have a roof over their heads, they have a job, they have finances, they don't struggle, it means God is pleased with them. It's one of the oldest deceptions. And all through the Bible stories, we see this. People mistake the blessing of God with them being right with God. Jonathan Edwards, who God used in a mighty revival back in the day, talked about the mystery of how God works through people who have no evidence of God's presence in them. It's possible. There's so many mighty men who go through life thinking just because they experience the blessing of God, they must be right with God. But it ends up destroying them because they become proud, they become complacent, they let go of the fear that is upon them, the fear of God that is upon them. You know, here's the thing. The greatest mercy that God can show somebody is when he puts, the, puts them flat on their back. And I want to be very, very careful because I have been through this in my own life. There are humbling situations that God takes you and me through. No matter how much you succeeded in life, no matter how much you have going on for you, it comes a point where if you have rebelled against God and if you are not going for for his will and in alignment with his will, he will drop you on your back. And some people get really astonished that God will allow those things to happen. But man, when you're finally on your back is when you can actually look up to him. Some of us are probably upset with God that he struck you down. 
It wasn't God trying to pay you back. It was a way for God to pave the way for you to come back. Never get mistaken. Never misunderstand the, the lessons that God takes you through. In chapter number 15, we come to the next chapter. After some days, at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber. But her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I, give her to, I gave her to your companion. Is not your younger sis, her younger sister more beautiful than she? Please take her instead. What? Okay, never mind. And, and verse number three, and Samson said to them, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches and he turned them tail to tail, put a torch between each pair of tails and when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. One of the best practical jokes in the history of the Bible. He ties the tails of foxes, sets them on fire and sends them into the Philistine cornfields and everything is set on fire, right? So what did they do? They get mad and they retaliate. Here's a man who is on the loose. No one can control him. No one can speak into him. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. But what did they do? They see what Samson is doing. They retaliate by killing the bride and her father. Okay? They're serious about it. This year's verse seven, and Samson said to them, is this what you do? I swear, I will be avenged on you, and after that, I will quit. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow, and he went down and stayed in the cleft of the rock of Adam. Now, verse number eight is really nice because it's, it's I, I chuckle to myself because I can relate with this. And he struck them hip and thigh with a great blow. Now, struck them hip and thigh, now I want you to listen, is another way of saying he gave them a good old brown dad whooping. Are you tracking with me? All right. Or a colored parent trashing. All right. That's what it really means. When, where the infliction of pain will ensure that any bone in thigh will become a boneless thigh. Okay. Like brown people know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay. Because it's called abuse in America, but it's called love in India. And that's exactly what he did. He made the, the, the very action. My, my dad used to do that. He was like, come here. And he would do this and he would do that with what we called a choodle buddy, which is just basically like this, this what is it? Bamboo uh, stick or bamboo branch? He would, I turned out okay. I still love my dad though. Gives him a good beating. Verse number 10. They said, we have come up to bind Samson and to do to, do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock, uh, uh, to the cleft of the rock, Etam, and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines are ruler over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so as I have done to them. He was so much of revenge. Here's a man of revenge, right? Verse 12. And they said to him, we have come down to bind you that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. They said to him, no, we will only bind you and give you to their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with, with two new ropes.
ropes and brought him up from the rock. Verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon him and the ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire and his bonds melted of his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey and put out his hand and took it. And with it, he struck a thousand men. And Samson said, with a jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with a jawbone of a donkey, have I struck down a thousand men, almost like a rap. And soon, as soon as he finished, he, he finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. Like, does this ama- like, this amazes me. Like, he's in the middle of battle. He's killing people and he had time to, to sing a song. Right? And like, nothing ever happened. He throws away, it's like a mic drop. Throws away this jawbone. Now, track with me. Sings a song, drops the mic, walks away. Verse, chapter 16. Can you believe we went through two chapters? All right, let's do this. Chapter number 16. Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went to spend the night with her. Now, here's the thing. He gets more reckless. He hasn't learned his lesson as yet. He gets more reckless because Gaza is the capital of the Philistines. He goes right under their noses. Now think about this, the audacious personality and character of this man that is not on a leash, right? Run right under their noses, he surrounds the place and he plans, they surround the place and they plan an ambush. They know that he's there, they surround the place, they plan an ambush. Verse, verse number two, they kept quiet all night saying, let us wait till the light of the morning and then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight and at midnight he arose and he took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and he pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now, just casually, like it was nothing, right? It just mentions that. Like, there's nothing really to say there. He just rips up a city gate and that's that's actually pretty awesome, right? Verse number four. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Here we're introduced to Delilah. Hey there, Delilah. Delilah in Hebrew sounds like the night. Now here's what I want you to understand. The word Delilah in Hebrew sounds like night, all right? So it means darkness. Now what this means is that Samson is about to start experiencing the beginning of his end. He's laying in the night's bed, about to experience what God is about to deal with him. Get ready for this, okay? Now, verse number five. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him and we may bind him to humble him and we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength is and how you might be bound that no one can subdue you. Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings, that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like no other man. So guess what? She passes on the information and she does it. All right, she does it. Now, they, they bind him up, all right? Verse number 10, right? So, so what happens? They do it, and, and he, she cries out and says, hey, the Philistines are about to attack you. The Philistines are coming, and, 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 and they, they come, and what happens? He, using his strength, he just breaks free from the bondage, and he starts fighting back. Verse number 10, then Delilah said to Samson, man, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound second time. And he said to her, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. 
What happens? She goes and communicates this with them and says, hey, if this is what you do, you are going to make sure that you get Samson. What do they do? They, they tie him with ropes. She ties him with ropes, gets ready for this massacre that's about to happen. But what happens? Samson frees himself, right? Verse 13. And he said to her, if you weep. Now, now she comes back to him crying and is like, oh, Samson, you lied to me again. Please tell me what your secret is. Verse 13. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head and the web and fasten it tight with, with a pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Now, wait a minute. We have gone from hands to the body, now to the hair. He's, they're getting to the head, man. They're getting closer. He says, take the pin out of the loom and, 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 you, and, 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 and you can get me at any time. Guess what happens? Takes this message to them. Same thing happens. They come. He says, the Philistines are coming. Samson breaks out and finally she's had it. She says, verse 15, and she said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she has pressed him hard with her words day after day and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Can I just pause here for a second? Like, dude, haven't you been here before? Like, when will a man stop in his tracks and say, man, I got to learn my lesson. The devil got me like that last time. Man, I fell like, just the same way last time. I'm not going to let this happen again to me. No, 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 no. He lets it happen over and over and over again. And the fourth time, he says, man, I'm just going to give it away. I'm going to say this as respectfully as I can. All right, church, listen, please. Women have the ability to bring the stupid out of men. And men, no, no, wait, hold on. And men have the ability to bring the stupid out of women. Why? Because human beings will give up anything for quote-unquote love. Anything. Here's the thing sexual attraction and the seduction thereof has this immense power to make the most powerful men and women lose their anointing. I want us to very carefully listen this morning because this is a message that God needs to send to his church. Don't lose your anointing and jeopardize your calling over a fleeting feeling. It comes and it goes. A lot of men want harmony in their homes and many men cave when they shouldn't cave. I'm, I'm talking to spiritual heads today that need to be prayed up, that need to be fasted up, and that should not sway under the pressure of familial tension. It's so important for a man to step up. I am so glad to pastor a church where I see men in the crowd. I am. There are so many churches that the pews are empty where men do not go to church. I am so glad and happy to see men here. You know when the, when, when the worship team was leading worship back here and they just stopped and they allowed us to sing? Guess who I heard? No, no offense, women, but I heard a lot of men singing. That made me happy, y'all. Did y'all hear that too? I heard those deep voices. I was like, yes, thank you, Jesus. This is good. 
See, spiritual leadership means doing the right thing even if it displeases your partner. So, so what happens, man? He gives up. He gives into this, this tension that's there. And, and verse number 17, follow along. I'm, I'm going to get, I'm, I'm, I'm still, I haven't still started my points, okay? Verse number 17. And he told her all his heart and said to her, a razor has never come upon my head for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak like any other man. Fine. He spills the beans, gives him the secret. The same story, but this time she makes him sleep on her lap. She hires a barber. The barber comes in, shaves his head, and she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson, just like all the other times. He awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as other times, and I will shake myself free. Listen, but he did not know that the Lord had left Brothers and sisters, do not test the grace of God. Do not take the grace of God for granted. Samson is showing us the trajectory of sin. It starts all fun, all right? There's the a, there's a practical jokes and the strength and the beer parties and the Delilahs. It goes from serious to serious and it goes to a point where there's no coming back. See, when you allow things outside of God to delight you and satisfy your pleasure, you stop delighting in God. I cannot stress this enough. What are you allowing to delight you? Because here's the R-rated version of the story. Here was a woman that was trying to pleasure him as, as best as a, 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 the worldly pleasure as he, he could get. All right? He was falling from it from time to time, but what he did not see was a spiritual attack behind the whole story. Verse number 22, this is the story of grace. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. I'm gonna, I'm gonna revisit this later. But what happens? The Philistines throw a big party where thousands of people join to celebrate Samson's capture. Finally, Samson is in captivity. He's in jail. And they drank till they thought it was a good idea to parade Samson for people to see him and ask him to entertain them. Okay? So here is Samson brought out, paraded in front of people. And Samson looks at this young man who has brought him out and paraded him and said, Hey man, can you rest my hands against these two pillars? So they, they rest his hands on these two pillars. And what they think is entertainment, verse 28. And Samson called to the Lord and said, Oh Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this one time. Oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which his house, on the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, and his right hand on the one, and the left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords, and upon all the people that were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Wow. You can put your Bibles away. This story is worth a pause. pause. What can I learn from Samson's life? I know we've done a lot of reading, man, but I needed to read this for us to get context of what I'm about to tell you. Y'all ready for this? Here's the road to self-sabotage. You ready for this? So, the road to self-sabotage. One, 
You self-sabotage yourself when you are unrestrained. Samson was an unrestrained man. He was an impulsive man. He was driven by his lusts. He was driven by his impulses. When he's hungry, he eats. He doesn't, he doesn't care what it is. He doesn't care who gives it to him. He doesn't care where it came from. When he, when he wants to have sex with a woman, he does it. He gets mad and angry whenever, whenever he wants. He lives in constant anger and rage and, and he fumes all the time. He lies through his teeth and when he wants revenge, he takes it. Here's a man that is uncontrolled. I'm warning us as Christians, as believers, the road to self-sabotage is when you and I become impulsively unconstrained. Always be connected to the vine. What does that mean? Here's the thing. You cannot be desire-controlled and spirit-led at the same time. Samson, you are called by God. You have an anointing on God, but it's an either-or. It's not an and-and equation. You can't have this and this. It's either the spirit of God or it's either the spirit of mammon. You have to pick. Because in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 17, the Bible says that. That it's either one or the other. It's spirit or flesh. Alive to one is dead to the other. You can't have both. Saying no will save you a lot of trouble later. And I'm, I'm reminding us as a church this. We have to tame our passions. We have to know when to be restrained. Learn to say no to pride. Learn to say no to the lust and the desires of the flesh. Because it will save you a lot of trouble later. Samson just couldn't say no, y'all. He did not know how to say no. Your ability and my ability... To say no to the lust of the flesh gives, you know, it, it, it gives us the ability to release dynamite power for God to release dynamite power in our lives. If you can't, you're walking on thin ice. See, the enemy can use your pride and your life to tear down everybody and everything around you. In Proverbs chapter 25, verse 20, the Bible says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. How many of us can say, man, that's probably my life? Where a person without self-control is like a city with th th those walls are what kept thieves out and small armies out and wild animals out. And how many of us don't have walls and don't have boundaries and don't have doors and walls that are supposed to be there? Because walls inadvertently gives you the ability to look at people even before they approach you and say, these are my boundaries. This is where I say no, and I'm not going to go beyond this. Couples that are not married, if you're dating, you're in a relationship, know when to say no. It is so important to one another. It doesn't matter if you've been together for years. It doesn't matter if you know each other. It doesn't know where to draw the boundaries in Christian relationships. For some of us, it's those addictions that we need to get under control. Unrestrained addictions. Try to get that eating addiction under control. Try to get that gambling addiction under control. For so many of us, it's that shopping addiction that we need to get under control. What are those addictions that you deal with today that you need to look at God and say, I need, to hel I need help? For some of us, it's that pornographic addiction that we need to get in under control. For some of us, it's that beauty and acceptance addiction that we need to get under control. For some of us, it's the addiction to image modification that we need to get under control. 
Let's get that sex addiction under control. Let's get that internet addiction under control. That cell phone addiction under control. Let's get that shopping addiction under control. That video game addiction under control. Let's get that binge eating disorder under control. Because anybody that's unrestrained, you're walking in dangerous territory, church. For some of us, if, if it's hard for you, get, get counseling immediately. Get counseling immediately. Try to get help as, as fast as you can. You don't need to feel ostracized or that your life is over if you're unconstrained. But there's help. There's a serious demonic stronghold in your life. And I'm sorry, I'm not sugarcoating it. And it needs intervention. It needs Jesus. It needs somebody that can stand with you and pray with you and say, brother, I'm here to help you. Sister, I'm here to help you. It takes somebody to confess and say, I have a problem and I need God to constrain me, to hold me, to rein me in. It begins with you talking to an accountability partner. It begins with you talking to your pastor, praying with somebody, confessing your sins to somebody. Point number two, the reason to his downfall and self-sabotage was that he was complacent. He was complacent. See, Samson treated the commands of God so casually. Here was a man that didn't even care. He broke it whenever he wanted. He, he was like, man, I cut my hair once or my, my hair was, nothing really happened. How many of us go through those periods in life where we're like, we fall into those temptations over and over and nothing happened. I wasn't struck down by lightning like my pastor said I would be. Samson was like, I drank alcohol before. We had that party before. Nothing happened. Nothing. I'm not, I'm not going to do it. I, if, I, if I touch it, I know it's against my code, but if I do it again, it's, it's, it's going to be fine. I've touched the dead body before. Nothing happened. Are we tracking? See, what if the harm was not in the action itself? What if the harm was in driving out the presence of God from your life? See, that's what I need us to understand because that's, the, the harm is not in what you do. It's about what happens to you. A lot of us Christians don't understand that every step we take away from God, every moment that we allow the fear of God to slip away, you take one step back from the amazing presence of God that holds you together. The glue that holds you together is slowly being departed from you without your knowledge. But for you, you don't see visible action from God, so you think we're okay. I haven't lost my strength. I haven't lost my job. I haven't lost my family. I'm not divorced as yet. My wife tolerates me, even though I have all these issues that I'm not dealing with. What if the real problem was that it removes God's blessing and promises and presence from your life in every area of your life. Can I be honest with you? I'm convinced personally as a pastor, as a, as a human being, as a Christian, that every lie that I tell, every inappropriate image that I look at, look at every penny that I wrongly use, that I'm grieving the Holy Spirit. Samson teaches us that we should never take the presence of God for granted because here's what happens. Complacency to God's presence and grace can lead to a place of a circus act. What do I mean by that? There's this circus in Argentina where uh, there's this lion tamer that, that would feed the lions and then come and you know, put on a show for the people that visited. The, there was this one day and, and the, the routine was they would feed the lions. They would have to wash their hands five times before they could get into the ring to tame the lions. And they were short-staffed and one person was feeding. The same person was taming lions and putting on the, the show. 
this dude in the middle of all the busyness forgot to wash his hands before going into the ring with the lion. The lion comes around him, takes one sniff of his hand, smells flesh, smells blood, goes for his hand, literally devours that man in the front of many people watching. The smell of flesh on his hands cost him his life. Are you tracking? Connecting the dots here? See, this is a verse in the Bible that grips me more than any other. But he didn't know. That's what the Bible says. He didn't know that the Lord had left him. (sighs) Can I be very honest with you? That's the most dangerous place for a Christian to be in. That is the most dangerous place for a believer to be in. A place where you don't know that the Holy Spirit has left you. You know what David's biggest prayer was? It wasn't a Lord preserve my kingship. It wasn't a preserve my, my life or give me more money. It was a Lord take not thy Holy Spirit away from me. Have you ever seen a fish out of water? That's exactly what David felt every single time he walked away from the presence of God. But here you have a man that recognizes even though he sins, it takes him away from the presence of God. And the only way that he can come back is when he confesses and says, take not thy Holy Spirit. I know I sinned. I know I fell down. I know I've far been from, you know, being a man after your own heart, God, take me back in. But the difference between that and a man that's unrestrained is a man that says, I don't care. He didn't even know that the presence of God left him. When you stop praying, you won't even know when the Lord leaves. Because for Samson, I'll go do do what I do every day because I have the ability. I have the strength. I have the talents. I have the skill. I have a job. I have, you know, the talents and skill set that I need to carry out my job. Who needs God? See, the lie you eventually run into is that your machine runs because of your own abilities and not because of his grace. But there's only so much before the grace tank runs out. Oh, brother, that's heresy. How can you say that? I thought his grace is sufficient for me. It is. But the Bible tells us in Romans 6, 1 and 2, listen carefully. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Like how can you sit around and say my hands are dirty and just go around just doing whatever you do? Like none. Does that make sense? See, the presence and the power of God can leave us when we treat casually the power in the presence of God. Church, sin grieves the Holy Spirit. It quenches the Spirit in your life. And if there's sin in your life that is unacknowledged, unconfessed, that is practiced, you're driving the Holy Spirit out of your marriage. You're driving the Holy Spirit out of your life. You're driving the Holy Spirit out of your family and your church. Point number three, he was unteachable. He was unteachable. Your road and my road to self-sabotage is when you and I come to a place where we know it all. For many of us, our middle names are Google. 
Nobody could ever speak into his life. Nobody could persuade him. He always put on this facade that he got this. Come on, I, I'm, I, I need God to speak to some hearts today to humble some people today because here's a man that was untouchable. You know the only ones that could persuade him? Who were the ones that could persuade him? A woman called Delilah. Come on, somebody. The only ones that could persuade him were people without spiritual authority. Okay, let's pause here. We have way too many Christians walking around that are influenced by everything else but people that can spiritually speak over their lives. We have Christians walking around every single day that will come in and out of church, that will come to Sunday services, lift their hands and worship, lead life groups that will be, you know, be on leadership teams, that will be lead pastors, that will be on worship teams every single waking moment of the... But these people can never be held accountable and these people can never be held answerable and they're always unteachable. He was untouchable. He lacked this thing called integrity. See, being a person of integrity doesn't mean that you have to be perfect. It just means that you have to be authentic. That's all that God wanted from him, man. You're not going to be perfect. It's like David. I'm not perfect, but I'm authentic. I can at least come into the presence of God and say, God, teach me your ways, oh Lord. Guide my steps. Oh God, that's the difference between these two gentlemen. One guy has no care in the world for being filled by anybody. But anything that the world says, anything that Fox says or CNN says, anything that Facebook says or Wikipedia says, oh yeah, that's good. That's amen to that. Oh Lord Jesus, help me Lord. Can I finish this? Y'all okay if I finish this? All right. Because so many of us are okay with just putting an image, hiding the real us. See, because image is what pe people perceive we are. So as long as perception is reality, we're good. But integrity is what we really are. And God is looking for real people. Not people that just want to be something for somebody to approve or not approve. Being teachable means accepting you're not self-made. Strive, you know, for, for progress. Don't strive for perfection. Nobody, God doesn't want a perfect you. He just wants a person that is striving towards progress. Can I add this? Do you know who is unteachable? Loners. I notice this in the Christian world. There are so many loners in this world. No point in his life does Samson have friends. I want you to listen to this. He doesn't have friends, so they hired 30 people to be his groomsmen. How pathetic is that? Can I break this down for you? Listen up. Here's a lesson that we will see play itself out generation after generation in our churches, in our lives, in everything we do, in the fabric of our society. Here's a lesson. I'm talking about people like me. I'm not even talking about you right now. I'm talking about me, a guy in his mid-30s. Like, like we come to a point, and I'm talking about leaders like me who will come to a point if they allow it to be unteachable. I'm afraid and I pray every day and say, God, please protect me from that. Always allow me to be a person that is open 
to being teachable. So many leaders come to that point where they're unteachable. No one can speak into their lives and they become uncorrectable. But you know what Proverbs 18.1 says? It says that an isolated man will always serve himself. That's what the Bible says. Doesn't care about anything else. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all judgment. And that's exactly what you see in play here. A man that is unrestrained, uncontrolled, unteachable, that is on the loose. But here's what I want to, I want to tell all of you all, but men especially, there's so many men here. I want to encourage you this morning. As we get older, we just start isolating and distancing ourselves from friendships. I don't know how many of you can agree with this. But I don't want you to buy into the lie that solitude is independence. Because when you reach a place in your life where you don't need anyone, you can become dangerous. You can become real dangerous. Like, think about it for a second. Think about your dad. Like, how many close friends did he have? How many close friends would you say he had that was somebody that could speak life over him? If, you, if your dad did have friends that he could confide in and speak over, over him, you're in that rare minority. You're in a very rare minority. But here's what happens to, happens to men, especially as you grow, grow older. We, we pull away and we seek our own desires and we grow to be loners. And that's what I'm scared about in my mid-30s. I'm scared that I'll come to that place that I may begin to isolate myself to the point where I don't allow anybody to speak into me or have anybody hold me accountable because it's more comfortable that way. Why do I need community? Why do I need people that I can be raw and authentic with? But it's more deadly. Let me remind you. Who is it that right now can speak into your life? I want to ask you that question. Who is it? Can I ask you? Who is it? At least can you name me one person that can directly speak over your life? We have so many in the church that will get hurt when people in spiritual authority will speak over your life because you take it as an attack. Who has the knowledge or the permission to speak over your life? How do you respond to criticism? What would your friends say? If I ask your friends, does this person take criticism? What would they say? Would they say, oh yeah, absolutely. I can tell them anything. Or will they say, man, I just start keeping away from that dude. He's volatile. He just gets mad and upset. What would your husband say? What would your wife say? Some people are like, let's not go there, pastor. <laughs> like what areas in your life is off limits? What is that room in your life that you don't want anybody to enter? See, whatever place that is, it's, that's the, exactly the place where the enemy has a foothold over you. Worship team, would you just get ready to come up? Men become godly, women become godly men and godly women when they allow godly men and women to speak into their lives. Stop withdrawing yourself. Isolation makes you cold. I mean, you see that? If you have kids, you'll see them. They'll run and come to you and they'll cuddle with you. They want to cuddle with you at night. Why? Because there's something about warmth and company. That's what the Bible reminds us as well in Ecclesiastes 4.11. If two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Isolation makes you cold. You need people to keep you warm. Some of you are like, I come to church, pastor. I'm, I'm a part of a men's group. You're probably lukewarm. Not there, not here. And you know what God says about that. 
point number four, I'm about to close. Point number four. He was proud. He was proud. He assumed that he'd never lose his strength. Not once did he give God glory for anything he had done in his life. He felt entitled to use his blessings for his own purposes. All right, here's what I'm asking you. Do you take God's blessings for granted? Do you know what the barometer for that is? Here's what, how likely do you treat sin? That's also indicative as to how you and I pray. See, the ending of Samson's story is so disappointing. Would you stand up to your feet with me? The ending of this story is so disappointing. Like, haven't you ever like, have you watched a TV show where you're like going through the seasons and you watch all the seasons and it's the grand finale. It's, it's like the last season and you're watching the last episode and you're like, okay, this is gonna end great. Like people that watched The Lost, like, you know what I'm talking about? Like, and the last episode was like, really? Like that was the ending? Like you could think of numerous movies like that. That was his story. That was Samson's movie. So promising. His life was so promising, so powerful. He, he had this grand birth narrative. He was a man that was going to accomplish much, so much strength, so much expectation. Every mother was pointing their children to this man and saying, learn from him. Look at this guy, the strongest man in Israel. This huge collapse. And he's dead. Pride will cost you everything, but it will leave you with nothing. But here's what Samson remembered. He said, man, I think it's not too late to turn and repent from pride. See, pride will always be the longest distance between, you know, two people or the relationship between two people. Most relationships fail because couples rather fight with pride than fix with love. It's amazing how you can be friends with someone for years, but it can end in a minute because you're unwilling to swallow your pride. But Samson said, it's not late to cry out to God. I know I've messed up. I know I've screwed up big time, but it's not too late to cry out to God. And he cries out to God as he's in the lowest position as a person could ever be in the midst of Dagon's temple. He's bound, he's blinded. The men have like gouged his eyes out literally. No eyes, no hope, no help. Literally helpless. Verse number 22. The Bible says the hair on his head began to grow again. God's mercy is like Samson's hair. It's new every morning and it persists even when sin abounds. But I'm urging somebody today. You can choose self-destruction. You can choose self-sabotage. Like this is the epic story. It's like this, man, you have to like read it to believe it. Like how many of you read through this entire narrative and said, well, that wasn't the version that I read growing up. Come on, anybody here? Yeah. Because we were given the PG version. Oh, this strong guy brought everything down. But sometimes we got to pause in our tracks and say, I am Samson. 
I am Samson and God is trying to teach me something through this lesson. And if God hasn't spoken to you today, please go back and listen to this message. I'm pretty sure when, when you've had good rest and good sleep, I know some of y'all were here till two in the morning putting stuff back together. And I know y'all are tired in your bodies. Go back and listen to this message. And I'm pretty sure that you'll find a piece of Samson inside of you. These four things that I taught this morning, because I preached this message to me, Holy Spirit preached this message to me and said, Ashish, this is for you. And I said, thank you, Jesus. I accept it. Thank you, Holy Spirit. I accept it. And I'm working on myself and I'm urging you, church. I'm urging you. This, this story is rated R. And, and over the next few weeks, you're going to hear some of those stories that are rated R. I, and I want you to come back and listen to these messages because these are going to be powerful, life-changing messages. These are messages that you've probably never heard before. But here's what you'll get with me. I don't sugarcoat stuff. I don't, I don't say, hey, I want to preach what people like to hear. I want them to come back next week. You know, I'll preach a message like this because God has asked me to preach this message like this. And I'm not, not going to apologize. I'll give you a gift on your way out, but not going to apologize. We have some mint as well. But here's what I pray. We'll allow this word to pierce through our hearts. Can we do that? As the worship team leads us in a time of worship, hey man, if you need to make some confessions before the Lord and say, God, I'm Samson and I need you. Every eye closed this morning, every single eye closed this morning, all, all, all over this place. There's somebody here that says, you know what? I've, I've walked far away from God. My life has been that rated R life. You could be that Samson at the end of his life even when there's no hope, when he's stripped of all his abilities, his pride, his self-reliance still looks at God and says, but there's still God that can help me. There's anybody like that here? I want to pray for you from here before the worship team starts leading us in worship. If there's anybody here, every eye closed all over this place, if there's anybody here that says, Pastor Ashish, this is me, Samson is me. Please don't hesitate. Just raise your hand. One, just raise one of your hands up in the air. I want to pray for you right now. Just raise your hand up in the air. I want to pray for you right now. Father, I pray for each and every person. You can put your hands down. I pray for each and every person that just admitted to you, God, that they are a Samson. Lord, in some place or the other, in their life, they need you and they need your power. And I pray, God, as we submit ourselves, as we dedicate ourselves, as we give ourselves into your presence, God, I pray, God, that you'll do an inner working in our hearts and in our lives. Do something that only you can do. Thank you, Lord. We give you praise. We give you glory. We give you honor. Thank you for listening. We love bringing you the word on so many different platforms. We are so thankful for what God is doing in and through us. We'd love for you to subscribe so you don't miss out. And don't forget to share this message if it has blessed you.